All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Revelation chapter 12 this morning. And I want to dive in. Um, I need to get a little bit of a running start. Um, if you're new to our study, I'll tell you, it is a little difficult to come to a church and drop into the middle of a Revelation study because there's lots of crazy stuff going on. And if you don't know the context of where we are, then it, you, you could get lost in the details of, of this study. But I'll just tell you, we're studying a, a time of history that is coming, that the Bible details exactly what's going to transpire. It tells us the days, the weeks, the months. It tells us a time frame. And, it, and God has laid out a seven-year period of human history that is in our future where the Antichrist will rule and reign. The rapture of the church will happen before this seven years. That's in our future. It's the next major um, prophetic event on the calendar or that's coming up in the Bible is the rapture of the church. Talked about many places in the Bible, foreshadowed many places in the Old Testament, that the church will be removed, that Jesus will come for you and I, what is called the bride of Christ, and he will take us to a seven-year wedding feast while he's dealing with and the final judgment on planet Earth, and he's pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting Earth, and he's re refocusing on Israel, the apple of his eye. And it's very Jewish, the seven years. Matter of fact, it's called in the Bible many things, that seven-year period. Commonly, we call it the tribulation. And the last three and a half years are specifically called the great tribulation. So we call it the tribulation. It's also called in the Bible a time of Jacob's trouble. The word Jacob was um, the, the, the father or the forefather of the nation of Israel. He had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. And so um, it's called a time of Jacob's trouble. That's very Jewish. It's called the 70th week of Daniel. That's very Jewish. And Daniel and Revelation go very hand in hand for end times prophecies and those things. And so um, in Daniel, there's, there's been 69 weeks fulfilled of human history in this prophecy of Daniel. And the 70th week is missing. And the reason why it's missing in Daniel chapter 9 is because it's in our future. And Daniel talks about it called the 70th week. The first 69 weeks of, of Daniel's prophecy dealt with Jewish history in Israel and the things that God was dealing with. And then there's a pause between the 69th and the 70th week. And that pause is where you and I are living right now. We call this the church age. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 where we live right now, and there's a time where the church was born. Jesus died on a cross. Fifty days later was the Feast of Pentecost. And, and at the Feast of Pentecost, um, the Spirit was given and the church was born. You and I are part of the church. The church will last until the rapture. And we're called the Bride of Christ. And we're living in that period now. And then after the rapture happens, the world will go into um, this time of Jacob's trouble, this 70th week of Daniel. And then the calendar... In Daniel 9, the 70-week prophetic calendar will pick up with this last seven-year period that's yet future. So when, you, when, you're, when you're studying, and as we're studying Revelation, you know that anything from chapter 6 to chapter 19 is happening within these parentheses or during the tribulation period. Where we are today, so you know, we're right in the middle. And some of the timing as we've gone through Revelation has been a little, you know, it's not exactly precise to be that you can be dogmatic this is happening in the second year of the seven, the first, the third. Um, but here where we land in, tw in 12 and 13, this week we'll do 12, next week we'll do 13. We know because it says three times, three or four times here in these next few chapters, that we are in the exact three and a half year mark. We're going to get ready to transition 
from the, from the tribulation to the great tribulation, the last three and a half years. Now, for you Bible scholars, what is the event that the Bible marks that the very exact middle day of the three and a half year tribulation period? The abomination of desolation. And that is when this Antichrist, this figure that is going to explain what happened to mass disappearance of people and the rapture of the church, this Antichrist figure who's going to be filled with Satan, just like Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus was filled with Satan, he will be endued with power from on high and he will rise onto the scene amidst amidst the chaos of a rapture and he will put things in order and, and he will deceive Israel. He'll make a peace treaty between Israel and the Arabs to be able to rebuild the Jewish temple there on the Temple Mount in Israel. And, and at three and a half years, this Antichrist will go into that rebuilt temple and he will, he will tell the world that he is God and to be worshipped as God. And at this point, the Jews will realize that they've been duped, that this is not their Messiah, their long-awaited Messiah, and they will flee, the Bible says. And they will run at this point. And then the Antichrist will set up at that point, we'll read it next week, the Mark of the Beast. We'll be studying the 666, the Mark of the Beast. Lots of questions about the Mark of the Beast and the Bible Mark of the Beast. We'll clear all those up next week, exactly what the Mark of the Beast is, what it isn't. But that event happens right at the three-and-a-half-year mark where we'll land today. So in Revelation 12, verse 1, now the, the title of the message or this chapter is The Invisible War. We'll get to that. Um, I have a kind of new title. I had other uh, pastors, and they gave this chapter some great titles, but um, I, I like the title for this chapter, Jesus Wins. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, Jesus Wins. Two weeks ago, I told you guys a story about a friend of mine betting on a horse, and he bet on a horse that he knew was going to win. And, and so I've asked you guys before, you know, if you know, if you know beforehand in the winning team and the losing team, you know, the wisdom is to bet on the winning team, right? Unless you just like to lose. Some people are like, there's always one in every crowd. Not me. I bet on the losing team. So I don't ask because there's always one, right? But I think the majority of us would say, yeah, I bet on the winner. And I've told you guys a hundred times, it's pretty clear that Jesus wins in the end. Regardless of how we, you know, feel about, you know, whatever we understand or don't understand about Jesus and the Lord, we know he wins in the end. And that, that he's going to set things right. And so this chapter, we'll see where Jesus is going to win multiple times. It says in chapter 12, verse number one, you guys with me? Now a great sign. Everybody say great sign. You know, the Bible cannot exaggerate. So when you see things like that, there's a reason for it. Appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Now, so first we have this woman who's clothed. And next we're going to see a child and then we're going to see a beast and we're going to identify what these three things are and and, and what's happening here. I'll just read it. Let's go to verse 2. It says, And being with child, this woman, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign, everybody say another sign, appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems. A diadem is a is a crown. It's, it's not a Thanos, which is a, the crown that Jesus wears. It's a lower type of crown, a diadem. And so this beast, this red fiery dragon, has ten horns and seven crowns on his head, which speak of authority and power. And, he, and his tail, he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Everybody say devour. 
And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there. 1,260 days. Anyone take a wild guess how long that is? 1,260 days? Exactly three and a half years. So, um, so here we have even, I'll just tell you, we'll start with the woman. Who is this woman? It says that she was clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and her head a garland of 12 stars. So we have some clues there, the sun, the moon, and 12 stars. Now, understand this. This is the great thing about the book of Revelation. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And just be careful. If you're, if you're doing Bible study, if you're, if you're trying to bounce things, ideas, and you're using other um, sources for that, be very careful. And just understand your, your first resource to understand a Bible passage that's hard to understand is the Bible itself. And I'll give you a very simple but effective um, Bible study tool. It's called, um, I'm getting old, thesaurus, not thesaurus, uh, concordance. I, that's stupid things, right? Like it just words just leave me sometimes. Like you guys understand, right? You guys that are over 27 like me? <laughs> concordance, a Bible concordance. Basically, it's really simple. You type any word um, in the English language into the concordance, and now they're computerized, and you hit search. And it brings up every place in the Bible where you find that word. So if you typed into your Bible, into your concordance, sun and moon and 12 stars, invariably that idea would be found um, in Genesis. And it's found in the story of Joseph. And Joseph was a young man who, um, who was the, the, the one who was the favorite of his father. He had the coat of many colors. He was sold into slavery in Egypt. He's thrown into a hole. And Joseph was the youngest, the 11th out of 12 boys. And, and his father was Jacob. And now if you know the patriarchs of Israel, there was no Jew before Abraham, right? Abraham was a pagan. His dad was a, um, a pagan priest. And then Abraham was born into this family as a pagan. There's no race of Hebrews on planet Earth. And God calls Abraham as the father of the Hebrew nation. And the Hebrew nation begins with Abraham. And so he's the father of the Jews, of the Hebrew nation. And he's the first Jew. He's actually, the first Jew was a Gentile. The first Jew was a pagan. That's just the way God did it. But from Abraham, he had a line that would lead through to a very important Jew that would be born one day in Bethlehem. Anyone take a wild guess who that was? Jesus. So Abraham had a son, and his name was Isaac. And Isaac had a son, and his name was Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Jacob doesn't have a son. Jacob has 12 sons. And Jacob's 12 sons are this to this day, the names of what? The 12 tribes of Israel. His 11th son is a boy named Joseph. And Joseph is sitting around the dinner table, and he tells his other brothers and, and his mother and father there at the dinner table, he says, hey, I had a dream last night. And the stars all bowed down to me, the 12 stars. His brothers understood very clearly that that was talking about them and that the 12, the 12 nations of Israel would bow down to Joseph, the 12 sons of Jacob. And, and then he said, oh, and not only that, I had another dream. And the sun and the moon bowed down to me, the sun being Jacob, the father, and the moon being his mother, Rachel. And now his brothers are upset. You guys know the story, right? You think me and dad, you, in, a, in a Jewish patriarchal family, that a mom and dad would bow down to her son? This kid has lost his ever-living mind. 
And so they throw him in the hole and they hate him because of it. It didn't help that his father favored him. So the, 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 the sun and the moon and the 12 stars is a reference to Israel. And so this woman here that we're going to see is Israel. And then, and then Israel is going to give birth to a male child. And we're going to take a wild guess who the male child is that Israel is going to give birth to? Jesus. And that's the way that God laid it out, right? Is that through the patriarchs and from the call of Father Abraham, who's a pagan priest, to become the father of many nations and through the line of Abraham that would lead to Messiah, the Savior of the world, who would come and take away the sins of the world. And so Messiah comes, Jesus comes. And so here in your, in your thing, you can write next to verse 1 is Israel, the male child who's being with child in verse 2 is Jesus. Verse 5, you can write Jesus. And then in the middle, we have um, this red fiery dragon. And, and you don't have to guess. So look at verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So no no question of, of what three characters are introduced here in the first six verses. This is talking about really the, the war of life that you and I live. It's the war between good and evil. Every story in, in every context of, of human history is always a battle between good and evil, right? And that's what we're seeing here. And the eternal battle of good and evil is being laid out, that there's a woman, the nation of Israel. Na- the nation of Israel is very important to biblical prophecy. God's nation is called the apple of God's eye in the Bible. And through them, God chose them to bring forth his son, which was an important job. You know, to the Jews, we talk to Jews. Joel Rosenberg is one of our, he's an author and a writer, and he's, he's, he's not Calvary Chapel, but he's doing a lot of work through Calvary Chapels and with us. And, you know, he, if you ask an average Jew about this, well, you're the apple of God's eye. You're the chosen of God to bring forth the Messiah. They, they'll say, you know, many of, many of them feel like, well, I wish God would choose somebody else. What did it do for us? You know, got us thrown into the concentration camps in Nazi Germany and, and persecuted for thousands of years and dispersed all over the world for 2,000 years with no homeland and, you know, all of these things that they went through. But it's this eternal battle that we're seeing unfolding. And just understand that everything that is anti-Semitic and is against and is a genocide upon the nation of Israel since Cain and Abel has been Satan's plan to thwart the Messiah. It's spiritual, people. It's, there's nothing. You know, I used to ask people. I used to talk to people from time to time. And they were just curious, you know. And I, I, I have a, a strong affinity for all things Jewish and Israel. And I've been to Israel many times and lead tours there. And, 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 you know, it's like, it's just ironic, right? You can't be a Christian and love Jesus and hate the Jew. <laughs> you know, like, your God was kind of a Jewish carpenter. You know, like, there might be a, you know. And so, but I'll ask people, you know, why, why do you think the world hates Jews? Now, why do you think there's an anti-Semitism? You'll hear answers like, oh, because they rule the world behind the scenes and they're, they're greedy and they own all the banks and they do this and they do that and they Jew people down and, you know, whatever they say, you know. And I stopped answering that, asking people that question because my honest reaction was always, I just wanted to punch them. Like, you're stupid. I don't even want to debate with you intellectually. I just want to punch you. But um, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's simple. God has, and, and not a formidable enemy, but we have an enemy. And, and the plan of God is laid out that through the nation of Israel that God would bring forth his Messiah. And Satan has known that since Cain and Abel. Everybody ever ask yourself why Cain killed Abel? We know Cain killed Abel, but why? It was the very first attempt of Satan to, to stop the line of Messiah. And then what do you see through human history? All the way through through Jewish history. Starts with Cain and Abel. And then what's the next event in human history? The Jews are thrown into 
um, slavery in Egypt. And what does the Pharaoh do to all the male children? Throws them in the Nile River and the genocide, attempted genocide of, of Israel. And then you come to the book of Esther and you read about um, Haman who built gallows um, in, in, and so that all of the Jewish nation would hang and be um, killed in the gallows. And, this, and another attempt through Haman to eradicate the Jews so that he could stop the coming of the Messiah. And then um, beyond that, you have Herod. And what did Herod do at the time Jesus was born? He killed all the babies, all the male babies under a year old. Another um, inspired, uh, inspired attempt by Satan to stop Jesus, the Messiah, from coming. And all the way through, you know, you come through to um, uh, A.D. 70 and Titus Vespasian. And the Roman army comes and sacks Jerusalem, destroys the temple, throws every stone off of the temple mount. And not one stone is left on another. The Jews are dispersed. A, a, a small amount of Jews remain in Israel till about the year 120 when they're finally sacked at Masada and no Jews left in Israel. And they're scattered all over the world. And, and for 2,000 years, they have no homeland. But yet miraculously, like no other nation on the earth, like no other ethnic group, like no other people group in human history managed to survive 2,000 years of dispersion and yet maintain their culture, maintain their language, maintain their heritage, maintain their, their God and who they are. When Benjamin Netanyahu was in his very first term as prime minister of Israel, he was meeting with the Chinese um, president. And the Chinese president was complimenting Benjamin Netanyahu on, his, um, on the nation of Israel and their resilience and and the fact that they have 4,000 years of human history to, to speak of the Jewish people. And Benjamin Netanyahu um, complimented the, the Chinese president as well. And he said, you guys have 5,000 years of recorded history and, and are great people. And not only um, China, but also India has 5,000 years of human history. And, and so Benjamin Netanyahu said, but, you know, there's a difference. And we have 4,000 years of recorded history and five in China and five in India. He said, but in China, there's 1.2 billion people. And he said, in India, there's a billion people. And in Israel, there's 13 million. And that's because you guys have always lived in China. And the Indians have always lived in India. And they've thrived and they've grown. But for 2,000 years, the Jewish, the Jewish nation didn't have a place to call home and to grow. I think today the population in Israel is about 15, 17 million, somewhere in there. It's still a very small number, right? And yet they've managed to survive all these years. And they can't go anywhere, you guys. The whole Bible will just not be true anymore. And Satan's known that. Everything in our future, it's all Israel. The, the, where we're reading in our Bible this week and next week is an event that the Bible prophesies that's going to take place. And an Antichrist is going to go into a temple in Jerusalem on Temple Mount. And he's going to create or cause the abomination of desolation. That cannot happen with no Israel can happen with no Jerusalem and no Temple Mount. It has to be there. It's going to be there. It's going to survive, you know, and all the thwarts and on and on and on. Um, Hitler and um, May 14, 1948, Israel is miraculously reborn as a nation. Um, they face a war immediately on all sides. 1967, in the Six-Day War, Israel's attacked again from all sides. They finally push the um, borders of Israel and defeat those, those, those armies and regain the Golan Heights and extend their borders. Um, 1973, the Yom Kippur War, they're celebrating Yom Kippur, everybody's off and nobody's stationed and it's a holiday and it's Sabbath and, and they're surprise attacked and, and almost lose everything in the Yom Kippur War. And miraculously, God shows up and does miracles and preserves them when all nations around them attack them and 
you know, today still, right? They, they still have a perennial enemy. Radical Islam has vowed to, you know, wipe Israel off the face of the planet. You don't hear the talk too much today, but I remember teaching this stuff, I think it was about 10 years ago when um, Ahmadinejad Jacket, well, I remember his name. Ahmadinejad was the prime minister, president of Iran, and um, Ahmadinejad, Ahmadinejad Jacket, he was a, uh, he would have been better as a dinner jacket than what he was. But all right, someone's gonna write me about that one. Calm down, people. Um, so uh, you know he was very vocal, and he said that his his ministry life was his his goal in life that God that Allah was gonna use him. He was gonna wipe the small Satan off the earth, and then the great Satan. That he was gonna wipe Israel off the face of the earth, and and, and still this perennial enemy. And so that that's laid out for us right here. That this is this is eternal. This is what's happening. And then in verse 4, let's look at verse 4. Actually, let me comment on verse 3 quickly. It says that he was a great fiery red dragon. When you guys picture Satan, is that how you picture him? Like the typical like Halloween costume with the red tail and the, and the horns. And that's not what he's going to look like. There is like a mythical God that fits that description that Satan has kind of been adopted to Satan, who he is. But it, it's not nowhere in the Bible is that it's actually in the Bible. He was an anointed cherub. He, he was beautiful in heaven. He was adorned with with jewels. And in his very creation, as God created him as an angel of heaven, it says that he he was uh, he didn't play, but that he was a musical instrument in heaven. And that, you know, for that reason, they, they believe that he was, a, you know, they say that he was a worship leader in heaven, that he was in charge of the music in heaven. And that when God kicked him out of heaven, he landed in a church choir. That's where he is today. But, you know, I don't know, the devil does have all the good music, it feels like sometimes, you know. But he it's the description of what the Bible gives him, that, that he was, uh, uh, it says that he can adorn himself as an angel of light. And so, um, not really that, that picture, but here he's seen, he's always described here in Revelation many times as a dragon. In verse 4 it says, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. I asked you guys to say the word devour because, again, Satan's attempt, and I just walked through uh, many of them, Herod and those things, where this was verse 4, that, that Satan's attempt was to devour the male child. And, and so that has been Satan's attempt to um, stop God's plan all the way through. And he understands, like, Satan's not very creative. He's not creative at all. He only copies what God does. He only, he only counterfeits and perverts what's, what's godly. But, but his plan has been since Cain and Abel that he figures if he can get rid of Israel and he can get rid of the, the line that would lead to Messiah, that it would thwart God's plan. But little did he know, or he probably should know, it's in the Bible, he knows the Bible, he's had 6,000 years to read it, that, um, that no plan of God's would be thwarted. In verse 6 it says, then, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her three so sorry, feed her there 1,260 days. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, and then in verse 7, now we get to the good versus evil, the invisible war that's being laid out. How many of you guys are familiar with Ephesians chapter 6? Turn there. I want you guys to be familiar. This is a memor uh, Bible memorization requirement if you're a believer in Jesus. So when you get to heaven, St. Peter is going to stand there and he's going to say, do you know Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12? And you hope you know it. Just kidding. That's not true. Just joking. That's not how you get to heaven. You get to heaven if your sins are forgiven and you know Jesus. 
All right, it says in verse 12, and if he knows you, more importantly, in verse 12 it says, For we do not, everybody say, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. One more time, listen. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, there's a visible war that's taking place all around us. There is an eternal fight for good and evil. You know what you're going to see here in Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, is you're going to see the real Marvel Eternals. How many of you guys seen the movie? The joke don't work if you didn't see the movie. Eh, eh. Nobody seen it? Eternals? A couple of us. It wasn't terrible. It was this story right here just skewed like to fit the world's kind of point of view and to prepare the world for Antichrist. But it, it, they, they, they understand this stuff is true. But this is the real spiritual battle between good and evil that's taking place. Let's take a look at it. And it says, and war. Everybody say war. Broke out in heaven. What? War in heaven? War on earth? War in heaven? And Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Who's the dragon? If you forget, just refer down to verse number 9. It'll remind you. But So it's a war between Michael and Lucifer in heaven. Now, I want to be, be very clear, and I, I think this, this gets out there, and so I want to I just squash this right away. Listen, Satan is real, as real as they are. He's an angel that was created by God. He hates you. He's your enemy. He wants to destroy your life. The Bible said he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. Okay, he's a liar and a deceiver. He knows his fate. He knows his end. He's going to a lake of fire for all of eternity, and he wants to take as many of you with him as he can. He's real. But listen, he is not a counterpart to God. He is not a, a, a foe or an enemy of God. He is not an equal with God. It's not Jesus and Satan clashing it out for the, for the fight, for the war. One is God of heaven who created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. And the other is a created being that, 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 that God is going to squash with one of the old, giving an old uh, wiggle his nose, you know, Jesus is going to wiggle his nose and Satan's going to go away. There's no, there's no comparison between God of heaven and an angel that he created. Now, Michael is another angel that God created. And we, we find in the, in the Bible, there's these three angels that seem to stand out. Some use the term archangels. But angelology is, is, a, is a very specific subject in your Bible, studying all the angels and demons. And so, you know, I don't want to twist it up because that's actually not angelology when you study who satan is satan is actually called the anointed cherub in the book of ezekiel and it gets a little complicated and i just want to be careful but but on the surface and it is kind of okay to understand it this way and it's explained this way very often and just again i preface that with if you get into angelology you will find some some creases in this um, line but basically there's three main angels in the bible that are discussed very often michael Gabriel and Lucifer. And so for that reason, they call them archangels. What you do find in angelology is that the angels have a ranking system. You know, like our military, like our Marines. You start at private, you work your way up to general. There's three generals in heaven in charge of different areas. Um, Satan was in charge of the worship of God. He was the worship leader in heaven. 
Michael is the warring angel. And every time you see Michael, he's the one that you might you know, see on in a movie like Eternals and, 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 and Clashes and these, these angels that are fighting. He's a warring angel. And Michael is always warring. He's, he's, a, he's a man's man. He's, he's the king of heaven as far as the warring angels go. And then um, Gabriel, we see him, and every time he appears, he's the messenger angel. He's the pastor. The, he's the one who brings the message to God's people. He's the one that shows up to Mary and gives her the prophecy that she's going to um, give forth, born a son, and that she's going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And um, Ga- um, Gabriel is sent by God and Daniel, and Daniel begins to pray, and God sends Gabriel to give him a message. And in Daniel, it says that Gabriel, when he shows up, he says, Daniel, um, God heard your prayers, and when you began to pray, God sent me with a message, but I was held up by the prince of Persia, which is Satan, for 21 days. And then God sent Michael, and, and he warred, and, 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 and he set me free, and now I've showed up to give you the message, but it's 21 days late, and Daniel fasted. And that's why you might hear this term, a, a Daniel fast, because Daniel fasted for those 21 days until Gabriel showed up. And so Gabriel's this um, messenger angel. And so here we have this scene in heaven um, where, where Michael is finally allowed to go punch his, you know, brother, his, his archangel. You know, like they've been, he's probably been, Michael's probably been eyeballing Satan forever saying, God, let me go get him. Let me at him. Come on, I'll take him. God's like, chill out. It'll be a day. And there came that day. And God's like, okay, Michael, go get him, you know. And they begin to war. And in this battle that is contemporary is Michael and Satan again, right? Not Jesus and Satan. That's not a fight. Um, and, and Satan loses, and that's what it says here. Look at verse 8. And it says, And they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them, Satan and his, and his angels, in heaven any longer. So that great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, who deceives the whole world. Listen, I want to tell you something about Satan. He's not your friend. You, you know, it, 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 and I, it's like stupid to even say that, right? Like, duh. But that's but 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 the world wants us to believe, and and where where is the world going? Where where do where does Hollywood and and the most of our mainstream you know musicians and this Illuminati stuff and this devil worship that they're involved in, you know, and and this Aleister Crowley style of of, of worship of Satan that's that's blatant. And trying to send this message to the world that Satan's your friend and Satan will do this and that. Satan is not your friend. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. You know, in the church on the other side of that, the church takes the brunt of, you know, the, the, the complaints. And that, you know, have you ever heard anybody, I had a guy who used to always tell me, oh, organized religion is the worst thing that's ever happened to planet Earth. It's responsible for every murder and every death and every um, war that's ever been fought. And on and on and on and on. And that's kind of the reputation of the world, that, that Satan lies to him, that, that the church is so terrible and that Satan's your friend. You know what? It's, it's, it's the church that is the preserving power that keeps Satan from doing what he wants to do to the world. And you know what we've seen in Revelation for the last six chapters is the unrestrained wrath of Satan and, and what he'll do and what's, what's going to be allowed when it's unrestrained. You know what the church is and, and the function of the church on planet Earth? says it in Thessalonians, right, in chapter 2 and verse 1. It says that the church is the restraining power, and we're the ones. We're responsible. It's, it's prayers. It's, it's our refusal to let, um, not let evil prevail on this earth, to say that sin is sin, to say that abortion is wrong, to say that marriage is designed between one man and one woman is God's design. And, 
and it's the church that is preserving and fighting against the evil. But, but, but it's not the bad guy. It doesn't make us the bad guy. It makes us the preserving power that keeps the wrath of, of what Satan really wants to do let loose on planet Earth. And, and you will see, the world will see when the church is removed and the restraining power is taken away, it says in Thessalonians. And the Antichrist rises up. And when evil runs rampant and the things that will happen in that season without the church being a restraining power, that's our job as the church to stand against those things. Now, we, we have it hard. We have it tough. Because we're supposed to stand against evil, but we can't fight the same way they fight. They fight dirty. We're not allowed to. We, we're, we're, we, our weapons are love. Our weapons are truth. You know what Jesus said about us? He said, <laughs> that's inappropriate. He says um, that we are lamb among, that we are sheep among lions. I'll send you out as sheep among wolves. Right? You're like, really, God? Sheep among wolves? Why would you do that to us? But that's what we are. We're sheep among wolves. And that, like, so there's got no defense. By the love of God, if that's how we fight, we go out and we fight. We fight as sheep among wolves, and we love people, and we're called the bad guys. You, you know what a sheep, you know what God gave a sheep to defend itself? Nothing. <laughs> no, you're right, yeah. The armor of God, a shepherd, Jesus. You know, but on its own, a sheep has no defense mechanism without a shepherd. It's lost. And we go out and we fight, you know. But we are the restraining force. And, and there's going to come a day when the rapture is going to happen. And it says that the restraining power is going to be removed. And so um, when that happens. So, again, the church is not the enemy and Satan is not your friend. And then it says in verse number 10, it says, And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night and has been cast down. Now, what is Satan doing for us and about us? It says here, what does he do? Does he, does he like help you out and help you make good music and get good girls and have money and drive nice cars? Like his purpose is he's accusing you before God. He stands before God. We, we get this played out. And if you want to unpack this, just read Job this afternoon you don't have to read a ton of it. Job's like 50 chapters, but all you need is like chapter 1 and part of 2 to see exactly what this is saying, that Satan is in the presence of God. And, and, and it's not like he, you know, I don't know if he has a backdoor access to heaven or maybe just when God summons him, he's allowed there. But yeah, he does to some temporary point until this war with Michael when he's kicked out and there's this, this um, win of, of Jesus that's going to come. But Satan is accusing us and you read about it in Job and he's standing before God and he tells God, um, look at Job. He, 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 why, you know, he will curse you to your face, Satan says. And, and he says, he's only yours because of how you bless him. Look how you've blessed him, God. Let me, let me add him, Satan t- tells God. If I, if I hurt him, if I take away his things, he'll curse you to his face. And so Satan is there accusing Job before God. And then God does allow Satan to go and, and test Job. The, the ten of his kids died in one day. We don't, we don't unpack that. We read that in the Bible, but we don't, we don't flesh that out. You know how difficult it is to lose a child? Job loses ten in one day. Then we give his wife a hard time because she's grumpy about the whole thing. Oh, his wife, she's not very spiritual. She doesn't mourn very often. I'll give her a break. She lost ten kids in one day. And then, then the process goes on. And so you see that story there where, where Satan is 
accusing us before the brethren. You know, Satan doesn't only just accuse us before God, but Satan accuses us personally, right? And Satan's weapon against you is condemnation. Now listen, hear this. I know we're getting late into the sermon. It's almost time to wrap up. And so you're getting to that point where you're not going to observe as much information. But I want you to tune back in for a second, all right? Wake up. Like, if I was doing children's ministry, I taught kids for a long time. So you got to bear with me. So when we get to this point, I do this thing where I clap twice. And then they all have to stand up, spin in a circle, and sit back down. The wind, and see if you do it the fastest. <laughs> that was a way I get to wake them up, you know, but I needed to wake them up. But um, now I forgot what I was going to say. I was talking about citizenship. Yes, yes, yes. Listen, Satan's tool is condemnation. And he lies to us. You know, if you get up on Sunday morning and you, and you feel like, oh, you shouldn't go to church. You know, do you remember what you did last night, Saturday night? God don't want you. God's not. God don't love you. God's mad at you. You know, and, and you know you haven't read your Bible or whatever. These things, these thoughts. You're a sinner, and so, or you know, or I should, you know, pray for somebody or I call them, and then you hear these thoughts reminding you of your sins, reminding you of the things. That's condemnation. It comes from Satan. And then, and then Paul tells us in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we know that condemnation doesn't come from God. And there's an easy test. Because then on the other hand, the Bible says that one of the, the job of the Holy Spirit, listen, catch this, the job of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth is to convict you of sin. You catch that? So when it comes from God, it's called conviction. And when it comes from Satan, it's very, it's very similar. It's called condemnation. But some, those things can still feel very similar. And Satan is pretty crafty at making you feel like it's this conviction that's coming from God, but it's not. It's condemnation. And we as children of God are not to walk in condemnation because we've not been condemned. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't receive that. And when Satan tells you that you're a sinner, you say, yeah, I am a sinner, and I'm washed in the blood of Jesus, and God loves me, and God has forgiven me, and God has adopted me, and God has received me, and God has accepted me, and God likes me. And that's the truth of God's word. And, and, and conviction is different. And there's an easy test. When you're, when you're hearing a voice, when you're hearing something in your conscience, if that voice is making you want to push you towards God, to repentance, to pray, to go to church, to do godly things, that's the Holy Spirit. If that voice that you're hearing is pushing you away from God, away from church, away from your Bible, away from your Christian friends, that voice is condemnation. It's not coming from God. Amen? All right, so then it goes on. And, and I want to try to finish. we just got a few minutes. Um, verse 11 is really the key to the whole thing. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. One more time. And they, yes, you can hallelujah all you want. This one's good. This is one of those ones where I'm like, if I'm preaching it good, all I can do is read this verse. They're just going to feel it. Like, this is good right here. Like, you ready? And they overcame by the word. Oh, wrong line. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even to the death. Okay, we'll try one more time. Three of you got it. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even to death. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, I have a friend, and her son was going through some. Uh, um, 18, 19 year old son was going through some uh, addiction issues and she got some advice that, you know, she needed to light candles in her house and have certain candles lit at certain places. And she was told that her son would never get better until she prayed to the saint 
Um, and don't quote me on this. You can go online and you can look it up and find a million of them. But St. Gerard or Maximilis, or there's a saint um, for every problem you have that you have to pray to, to to solve your problems. I'm not kidding. Just Google it. If you got a problem, you want to know what saint to pray to, you just ask. It'll tell you what saint to pray to. But she was told she had to pray to this saint. Um, she had to light these candles. She had to do things in order for her son to come get better. She was a Christian, and she said, I- I'm not going to pray to that saint. I pray to Jesus. And they said, your son will, they said, your son will never get better then, and it's going to be your fault because you refuse to do these things. And, and this is, you know, that's just one example of, um, and I'm just looking for something that, that's telling you that when we approach our problems in life, sometimes we see all these different solutions. And maybe for this situation, it was light a candle and pray to a saint. Maybe it's go to a psychiatrist. Maybe it's go to a self-help thing. Maybe it's do yoga and hum in the morning and stare at your belly button while you say, ah, blah, 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 whatever. Are, are all these things the world offers to solve your problems, to, to, to get you um, to win this fight that you're in? And yet, and yet the Bible says, right, the Bible says really clearly here, and I want you to know this. You, need, you want to overcome the world? You want to overcome Satan? It happens one way, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It's Jesus' blood shed for you. Another verse you need to know to get in heaven. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some of our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, all sin. Listen, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that we need. It's the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of of our testimony. Listen, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to change your faith. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to to give somebody Jesus. You just got to be able to tell them what God's done in your heart and your life. The blood of the Lamb and the power of your testimony. Jesus changed my life. I'm not the same. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. But I'm going to heaven. And Jesus loves me. And he can do the same for you. And Jesus can forgive your sins as he forgave mine. And, and, and the Bible says that, that, that if you don't know Jesus, that you, you don't go to heaven. One criteria to go to heaven is that you know Jesus and he knows you. There'll be a group in heaven, the Bible says, that they stand before him and they say, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we do good works in your name? And didn't we feed the poor in your name and do all these things? And they did all those things. They were good people. And Jesus said to him, depart from me, I never knew you. Because the criteria to get into heaven, and listen, when Jesus says depart from me, this is a scene at the pearly gates, right? This is, this is are you going in or are you not? And, and they're trying to, to claim their works and their good deeds, and they're all great deeds. They were good people. They did great deeds. And every one of those things they did. And yet they still don't get into heaven. And Jesus says the most scary words in, recorded in all your Bible, depart from me, I never knew you. So what is the criteria then to get in? said, I never knew you. You want to get in heaven, you got to know Jesus. And more importantly, like I emphasize, he, he has to know you. And it's as simple as just asking Jesus to believe in him, Jesus. The Bible says in Romans that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Paul said to the Philippian jailer, he was about to kill himself. Paul said, don't, don't kill yourself. He said, what must I do to be saved? He 
said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. You know, I tell this all the time, too, and it's kind of supposed to be funny, but, you know, if we're on a plane and we're going down and everybody on the plane is going to die and there's a, you know, all the religions of the world are on that plane and they're trying to get people to heaven before the plane hits the ground, it's only faith in Jesus. So many different works and things you've got to do in every religion of the world, and they're all, they're all not going to have time before that plane hits the ground to go through the checklist of what they need to be saved. Only in Christ. I tease and I say, you better hope I'm sitting next to you on that plane if it's gone down. Because I'm just going to quote to you, trust and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And you could do that like that. The thief on the cross did it quick. He didn't have time to go pass out tracts and pay tithes and do good works and whatever else, be a good person and do all these things that, you know, religion tells you you have to do. Put his faith in Jesus right before he dies. And that faith will work. And that's the faith you have to have on a plane that's going down. Amen? Hey, worship team, will you guys come on up? I was just trying to read these last few verses. We've talked through the chapter, I think, pretty good. Um, I'll read these last couple verses without very little commentary, and then we'll, 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 we'll sing a last song. And it says in verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Everybody say great wrath. Again, just a reminder of what Satan's plan is. Because he knows that his time is short. Catch that? Satan knows his time is short. Now at this point, he knows he's got three and a half years left. And he's getting ready to go into the lake of fire. And so he knows his time is short. And now when the dragon saw, you know the last three and a half years at this point right here? It's called the great tribulation because the trials and tribulations and the wrath gets so bad in the last three and a half years. And Satan is just completely hell-bent here. And his will, his own will, unrestrained, is going to be done. And he's going to pour out his wrath. And he knows he has a little bit of time. And that, that woe there in verse 12, remember we've been studying through the seven trumpets. That's the seventh trumpet. That's the woe of the seventh trumpet. We'll move into the last seven judgments of Revelation, the seven bowls. And then it says, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Who's the woman? Hey, I told you to write that down. The woman in our, in, our, in our context, right, is Israel, who gave birth to the male child. Who's the male child? Jesus. So we have this invisible war where Satan is fighting against Israel and against Jesus. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. That's the three and a half years. And so the serpent spewed out water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So 13 through 17 is... Um, the abomination of desolation, basically the setup of it, what's going to happen is when the Jews realize they've been duped, it says, the Bible says in multiple places, Matthew 24, Isaiah, Daniel, multiple places that the Jews will flee. Um, and there's only really one place. It says in, in Matthew they have to flee to the mountains. And so a lot of people believe there's a city. I have a picture. I don't know if it's too late now. It was supposed to be a long time ago. But there, um, this is a city in the Mon Jordan to the east of Israel called Petra. And a lot of people believe that was on Indiana Jones. If you guys seen Indiana Jones, they use that. Um, it's a place there. You see it's just solid rock wall, both sides. There's a that goes in, only one way in, one way out. 70, 80 foot rock walls on both sides of the sea. 
and um, they can't go to the west because they'll run into the ocean. They can't go to the north because that's where the armies are coming from. They can't go to the south because there's no mountains. And Jesus said they would flee to the mountains. There's mountains in the east towards Jordan prophesied in Isaiah. So a lot of people believe it's very possible, one more, that this area, and it just keeps going forever, fortified area, is where the Jews will flee during the tribulation to the rock city of Petra. And then during this time, Satan is going to spew out a flood, it says, as we just read. And the earth is going to open up and protect them. And God is going to supernaturally provide for the, the Jews and the remnant for the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation somewhere. Again, many believe here happens one that kind of on the train believe that this is where they'll go. This makes sense geographically. It's in the mountains. It's fortified. But either way, it doesn't matter because in the context of what we just read, during this time when the Jews flee after the Antichrist goes into the temple and causes the abomination of desolation, they will, um, it'll be supernatural. And so supernaturally, you know, they're going to be provided for. Maybe like um, Elijah was fed by the ravens and the, the Jews were fed with manna um, in the sea. So let's stand. I was going to say we were a little bit over and make an excuse, but actually we're doing good. Normally by this time it's like 11.45, and it's only 11.36, so we got a few more minutes. Hey, at this point in the service, it's like the last four or five minutes, so it's not, it's not the end of the world. Um, just relax still yet for a few minutes, and let, let the Spirit of God speak to you. Let's sing this last song together before we've checked out to lunch, and um, you know the, the pastors are going to be up front to pray for you. We really encourage you to use this time to come forward and receive prayer if you need anything going on in your life. And, um, you know, it is important. And there's something that changes when you get out of your seat. You just come forward, a step of faith, just to ask for prayer. And I never want us to feel as a church family that, you know, it's, it's, it's embarrassing to come up or anything like that. It's just what we do as a church, who we are. And we want to pray for you. It makes our day um, to be a part of what's going on in your lives. That's how we know what's going on in your life, so we can be praying for you. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior and get your heart and life right with the Lord Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer. You know, I don't put a bunch of emphasis on the prayer because the prayer doesn't save you. So I can get the prayer exactly right or I can mess the prayer all up and you can still get saved. Amen? Because the prayer is is the, is the avenue, but really it's saying yes to Jesus. You can say the prayer and don't mean it in your heart and not really in your heart surrender to God and not believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose the third day and ever lived to make intercession for you and is coming again for the bride. But if you believe those things and you want to get your heart and life right with the Lord Jesus Christ, you say this prayer with me, and God will hear you. He'll hear, hear your true intention. And if you mean this and you say this to God, you will be saved today. Your life will change from hell to heaven today. And it's that simple. You put your faith in Jesus. You realize and recognize you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and you repent of your sins. You ask Jesus to forgive you, come into your life. And when you stand before God, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He'll know you because it's based on intimacy based on knowing Jesus personally and intimately and Him knowing you. And this is how you get to know Him. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me if that's you out there today. I'm going to usually ask the church family to join me as we pray. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent of my sin. I give you my life. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Pastors will be up for us to pray with you. If you'd like individual prayer, please come so we can pray for you. If you'd like to be anointed with oil or sickness or healing, just ask the pastors to anoint you with oil.